Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Resilient Health Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Darren Ingalls, and a little bit about my guest today, Dr. Tom O'Brien. He is considered the Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease that teaches and recognizing and addressing underlying mechanisms that activate the immune system is the map to the highway towards better health. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute of Functional Medicine, aka IFM, and the National University of Health Sciences. He's trained and certified literally tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in the advanced understanding of the impact of wheat and gluten sensitivity and the development of autoimmune diseases. Welcome, Dr. Tom. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you, Dr. Darren. You know, uh, you know, you and I have had this conversation, I know, several times before in different forums, and it, it keeps coming up because I think it's just so critically important for people to understand, you know, how wheat and gluten are really undermining so many people's health. You know, maybe start off, you know, what are people, what are people getting wrong about gluten? What is it that they think about gluten that probably is not true? Well, that's a really good starting question. Uh, uh, before I do that, in your introduction, um, you referred to my premise that um, understanding the map to the highway to better health. And that's not just some cutesy little thing, you know, that people believe that if I take this supplement or if I do this diet, then I'm going to be fine. And what we don't understand is that it's chronic, low-grade, inflammation that's going on for years that's killing off tissue by definition inflammation you're killing off more cells than you're making right and when that goes on for years eventually whatever system of the body has been being uh inflamed eventually that system that organ that joint doesn't function adequately now you have some discomfort or some pain that starts to happen and you think your problem just developed. It actually has been developing for a long time under the surface before it got bad enough that your body couldn't compensate anymore. So that's a really important concept to embrace because when you wrestle with that concept, then you understand, I need a map. How am I going to get to where I want to go? You know, it, it's not just take this pill and everything's fine. That it's the lifestyle we've lived that has created the problems we currently have. Not that you've got a decadent lifestyle, you know, you're not eating ding-dongs and Coca-Cola every day, you know, but there's something. There's something out of balance. If you don't have the health that you want and you're really working at it, there's something out of balance that you just don't know or you would fix it. So that's the premise, you know, the map to the highway is really is critically important to understand. And your, your lead off question is a great one because that puts it all in perspective right away. So in order to answer that question, I'm going to give you a little anatomy to begin with, and then some science from Harvard, and then we'll, the answer will be obvious. So, Mrs. Patient, your digestive system is a tube. It starts at the mouth and goes to the other end. It's one big, long tube, about 20, 25 feet long. If you think of a donut, if you could stretch a donut out, that's your digestive tract. So when you swallow food, 
It's in the donut. It's not in the bloodstream. Well, wait a minute. I have to get the vitamins and minerals into the bloodstream so that, that the bloodstream, because the bloodstream's the highway, and it's just a highway, and it's carrying traffic everywhere, all going in the same direction. So I, I have to get the nutrients in the bloodstream so I can make more brain cells or more muscle cells. Well, wait a minute. If the food is in the tube, how does it get through the walls of the tube into the bloodstream? And the way that occurs is digestion. Digestion, think of a pearl necklace that when you eat protein, the acid in your stomach undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And it's your digestive enzymes that start with the saliva in your mouth. All of these digestive enzymes that act as scissors to cut that pearl necklace into smaller pieces. Snip, 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 snip. Until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace, we call those amino acids. Those are the building blocks of your new body. Now, the inside of the donut is lined with cheesecloth. So only really tiny molecules can go from inside the donut through the walls of the donut. It's got to go through the cheesecloth, through the walls of the donut to get into the bloodstream. So digestion is this process of clipping down your food into tiny little particles until they're small enough to go right through the walls of the donut into the bloodstream. And the cheesecloth con controls that. Now let's go to Professor Alessio Fasano at Harvard. The uh, professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School, professor of nutrition, Harvard School of Public Health, the director of the Celiac Research Center at Harvard, the director of Mucosal Immunology Center at Har Harvard, which means the lining of your gut, the lining of your brain, the lining of your lungs, that's mucosal immunology, and the chief of pediatric gastroenterology at Mass General at Harvard. This guy's got five titles. Any one title is a lifelong goal for someone at the top of their field. He's got five. You really want to listen to this guy. Right. And he tells us he wrote up. Now, he's always so careful of what he says. Right. So that he's not misquoted. He wrote a paper in 2019 that said it all. All disease begins in the leaky gut. The role of the protein zonulin in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. Now, that protein zonulin is what causes the leaky gut. But he's telling us all disease begins in the leaky gut. And he identifies that there are five factors in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. Now, that's a term that most people may not be familiar with, a chronic inflammatory disease. But the Center for Disease Control tells us that 14 of the top 15 causes of death are chronic inflammatory diseases. That's diabetes, that's heart disease, that's cancer, that's Alzheimer's, that's autoimmune diseases. They're all chronic inflammatory diseases. So you, you may not have heard this term before, but you really want to understand the concept of a chronic, meaning it's been going on for a long time, subclinical inflammation going on for years. It's a chronic inflammation disease, chronic inflammatory diseases. So. Professor Fasano, and this is what they're teaching at Harvard Medical School. 
He teaches that there's a perfect storm in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. That perfect storm has five components. The first one is your genetics. You really can't do anything about genetics. That's the deck of cards that you were dealt. You're always going to have those genes. No need to retest in a couple of years. It's the same genes, right? But we have a lot of control. Your genes work on dimmer switches. They're not on-off switches, but they're dimmer switches. You can't turn a gene off, but you can dim it down. So the genes of inflammation can be dimmed down. And the genes of anti-inflammation can be ramped up. For example, we've known for many years that one cup of blueberries a day, you eat a cup of blueberries every day for three years, your brain is working as well as it was 13 years earlier at one cup of blueberries a day because you're dimming down the genes of inflammation in the brain when you eat blueberries. So that's a good thing, right? So the first of the five pillars is genes. Don't worry about your genes. Not quite accurate. Find out what your genetic vulnerabilities are and then test to see if those genes are expressing themselves or not. You know, the genes of anti-inflammation, you want them expressing themselves. The genes of inflammation, you don't want them expressing themselves. And then you learn the map to the highway. You learn what am I doing in my lifestyle that's expressing, activating those genes of inflammation? That's number two of Professor Fasano's five pillars. Number one's the genes. Number two are the environmental triggers that we're exposed to. It's the environment that has its fingers on the knob of the dimmer switch of your genes, turning them on, up, 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 or down. Oh, down, down, down. It's the environment. And the most common environmental trigger is what's on the end of your fork. That's what's in the outside environment coming inside. But there's also the air you breathe and this, the amount of stress hormones. And is your body holding a lot of toxic chemicals like lead or mercury or uh, organophosphates? Or um, do you have a lot of stored toxins and you have to detox? Those are the things you have to examine. You have to find out, map to the highway. You have to find out what environmental triggers that I had, do I have that are turning on the genes of inflammation. But that's number two. Number three of the five pillars is that when you've had too many uh, environmental triggers activating inflammation, you lose the ratio of the good guys to the bad guys in the gut. That's called dysbiosis, really good Scrabble word, D-Y-S-B-I-O-S-I-S, -S -S, dysbiosis. It means too many bad guys, not enough good guys. And that comes from the environmental triggers. You drink soda pop and you're causing havoc in your gut. You're killing off the good guys. And there's so many things we do and we don't know we're doing them that kill off the good guys and the bad guys rear their ugly head. But that's number three. When you have dysbiosis, all of that inflammation in your gut, that causes number four, the leaky gut. You tear the cheesecloth. The inflammation inside your gut tears the cheesecloth. All disease begins in the leaky gut. And you tear the cheesecloth. When you tear the cheesecloth, 
Now these larger molecules of food that you've eaten that are in the process of being snipped down by our digestive enzymes, but now some of these larger molecules called macromolecules get through the tears in the cheesecloth before they've been broken down small. It could be the best food in the world, but when you've got leaky gut, you get a macromolecule of organic banana getting into your bloodstream. And number five of the five pillars is your immune system saying, what's that in the bloodstream? That's not something I can use to make new bone cells or brain cells. I better fight that. Now you make antibodies to fight the bananas because they're macromolecules and you get this inflammation in your bloodstream. And it doesn't matter if it's beef or chicken or carrots or it doesn't matter what it is. When macromolecules get through, your immune system trying to protect you is going to fight that stuff, creating systemic inflammation. And when you've got that dysbiosis in your gut, constantly tearing the cheesecloth again and tearing the cheesecloth again, and these macromolecules get through into the bloodstream and your immune system trying to protect you day after day after day is fighting these macromolecules, that's low-grade chronic inflammation, killing off cells, killing off cells, killing off cells, depending on what your genetic vulnerabilities are. Is it a brain cell or a kidney cell or an ovary cell? doesn't matter. The mechanism is the same. So these five pillars in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases, once again, this is what they're teaching at Harvard Medical School. All disease begins in the leaky gut. So now, why all of that background in information to your question? Professor Fasano, in the same article, he says the two most powerful triggers causing this inflammation and tearing the cheesecloth in the gut are small amounts of exposure to lots of bad bacteria and gluten. Those are the two. Nothing else is in this category. Absolutely nothing else. Now, the exposure to bad bacteria, um, the exhaust of that bad bacteria is called LPS, lipopolysaccharides. So they're, they're talking about LPS and gluten. Those are the two most powerful triggers that tear the cheesecloth, allowing macromolecules of the best food in the world, or garbage, doesn't matter, to get into the bloodstream. And then your immune system trying to protect you creates this systemic inflammation that's going to manifest wherever your genetic vulnerabilities are. So... You know, now that's that's a mouthful. That, that, really, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm glad you explained it. That, that's really important background for people to understand because, you know, the epidemic of autoimmune disease and immune disorders is just becoming absolute rampant. I see it in my practice every day. You know, I think the one thing I hear yeah. so often from my patients, and I'm sure you hear it too, it's, you know, look, it's just wheat. It's, it's like we've been farming for 10,000 years. You know, it's grown off of the world. Why is it such a big deal? And I think you've kind of, you know, honed well, in on uh, that pretty clearly, but... Can I can explain that. I, I can explain why. Why, why wheat? No, so that's the, res the result is what I told you. But why? Why does that happen? This is really cool when you understand this. Mrs. Patient, all over your body, but for this discussion, 
right inside the first part of the small intestine. So when food's in the stomach, it can't go anywhere. It's in the stomach. Everything that's in the stomach has to come out into the small intestine. Everything. Now, your body is the same as your ancestors 10, 15, 20,000 years ago. Same kidneys, same joint surfaces, same vision, eyeballs. I mean, the same immune system. Everything's the same. And the most important thing for our ancestors was finding food. This is before agriculture 10,000 years ago, finding food. Then it was shelter. Then it was safety from wild animals. Then it was reproduction, right? Theoretically, that's what we think. I've, I've not interviewed anyone who lived back then. You know? <laughs> that's what we think. But food was number one. Well, what did they do for food? Our ancestors were nomads. They followed the herds. So trying to find a source of food. They, they didn't stay in one place. And they'd find something, they'd pick it up. The first thing they do is sniff it. So they smell it. Then they nibble on it. Then they eat it. But if there was bad bacteria, some dangerous bug, you know, in the food that they couldn't identify by smelling or tasting, acid in your stomach, hydrochloric acid is supposed to kill anything. But if it doesn't, as all that glob of food is coming out of the stomach into the first part of the small intestine, you have sentries standing guard there. I think of the soldiers at Buckingham Palace with those big hats, right? They're dormant. They're just standing as stiff as can be. But don't mess with those guys, right? So you've got these sentries standing guard inside the first part of the small intestine called toll-like receptors, T-L-R, toll-like receptors. And toll-like receptor four is critically important. It's checking everything that comes out of the stomach. Are there any bugs in there? Are there anything we have to fight against? It's screening everything. Now, those ancestors that didn't have good effective immune systems and didn't have good toll-like receptor function, they died. They died and they did not reproduce. But those that had good toll-like receptors that get activated to protect them when they got some bugs in the water or in, in the food they were eating, they survived and they passed that survival mechanism down the generations. So we all have this today. Toll-like receptor four, just inside the first part of the small intestine. Its job is to watch everything that comes out of the stomach. Are there any bugs in there? Are there any bugs? And they can identify the tiniest little uh, group of amino acids that's the outside of the bug, right? And if they see a bug, two things happen right away within five minutes. First. They increase the production of zonulin. They send a message and increase the production of zonulin. And that was the protein in Professor Fasano's article that actually causes a leaky gut. So why would toll-like receptor activate a leaky gut? Because when you open up the space between the cells, a little water comes inside the donut, comes into the tube to wash out the bug with, with the poop. So you get a little bit of loose bowels and just wash it right out. 
That's why it's life-saving. And the second thing toll-like receptor does is it activates NF-kappa-B, the major amplifier of inflammation in the gut, the big kahuna for inflammation. So anytime toll-like receptor 4 sees a bug coming out of the stomach, it increases leaky gut right away, and it increases inflammation right away. Okay? Professor Fasano shows us that gluten is misinterpreted as a harmful component of a bug. Toll-like receptor 4 sees the amino acid structure of this poorly digested wheat, and it looks identical to the amino acid structure of dangerous bugs. So toll-like receptor 4 gets activated immediately. Within five minutes, you've got leaky gut. And when you see the videos of this, they've done videos now of this, you see it when someone's exposed to wheat. You go, oh, my God, that is really something. Wow, that is really something. It's cool to see. But that happens. Now, Professor Maureen Leonard, who also is at Harvard, she's a famous gastroenterologist, she looked at over 60 studies published on this topic of toll-like receptor 4 in the proximal part of the small intestine. Does it recognize gluten as a harmful component of a bug? And the summary in the article that she published in the Journal of the American Medical Association was, this response occurs in all humans who consume gluten. Wow. That means every one of you listening to this, if you're human, now sometimes your wife may say you're not human, <laughs> you're, you know, you're Cro-Magnon or something, but this happens to every single one of us every time we are exposed to wheat. So what does that mean? It means you get tears in the cheesecloth every single time you're exposed to wheat. And then macromolecules of the best food in the world, it doesn't matter, gets through the tears of the cheesecloth into the bloodstream, and your immune system, trying to protect you, is going to create chronic systemic inflammation. And this occurs in every human. You can't argue with this. Now, there are people who say, well, I feel fine when I eat wheat. You know, they cross their arms and lean back. Well, I feel fine when I eat pizza. I like the taste of pizza. For every one person that has gut symptoms with exposure to wheat, there are eight that don't. They get brain symptoms or skin symptoms or joint or thyroid, or they get lupus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But the ratio is eight to one. So if you're looking for gut symptoms when you eat wheat before you're convinced that it's a problem, you'll miss it seven out of eight times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's been my clinical observation. What I think it's really interesting too, is I've seen so many people that when they travel outside the United States, tell me they seem to tolerate wheat better in Europe than they do in the U S and I suspect that probably has something to do with the amount of glyphosate that gets used in the U S relative to other parts of the world. And I know Stephanie Seneff has uh, talked a lot about the impact of glyphosate, which is, you know, used as a, a drying agent as well as an herbicide in wheat products uh, in the U.S. Is well, that... You're, you're, you're absolutely correct that uh, glyphosate is a problem, but glyphosate 
um, kills the good guys in the gut. That's the danger of glyphosate. And the way that Monsanto got away with, with publishing studies that say it has no effects on humans because the bacteria in the gut is not human cells. It's <laughs> bacteria. And that, that's how they got away with it. It kills the bacteria. So you get more dysbiosis, more inflammation, causing tears in the cheesecloth uh, from uh, conventional foods. And I'll give you an example in just a minute. But the reason that people can go to Europe and eat the wheat and not have a problem, or they don't think they have a problem, but they actually do, is because the gut symptoms that people get when they're exposed to wheat is because most often because of a component in wheat called FODMAPs, the fermentable carbohydrates in wheat. They cause the bloating and the gas and the cramping, the abdominal symptoms. The glutens do not cause abdominal symptoms very often, up 8% uh, uh, of those people uh, the glutens will cause abdominal symptoms, but over 92%, about 92% of the people that get abdominal symptoms is because of the FODMAPs in wheat and not the glutens. And the wheat in Europe is lower in FODMAPs. So you don't get gut symptoms. So you think you can go to Italy and eat the pasta and really enjoy it, which you should, if you're going to do it, really enjoy <laughs> it. And you think you're safe. You're not because you're still activating the immune response, tearing the cheesecloth and all of the, because it's the gluten proteins that toll-like receptor recognizes, not the FODMAPs. So when you eat the food with the proteins in wheat, your toll-like receptors recognize that's a bug. And here comes leaky gut, here comes more inflammation in the gut, here comes macromolecules getting through into the bloodstream systemic circulation. Here comes the immune system trying to protect you. And if the weak link in your chain is your thyroid, here comes Hashimoto's thyroid disease, or here comes lupus, or here comes psoriasis. It doesn't matter. The mechanism, this is a primary mechanism. That's why this guy at Harvard, who we think is going to win a Nobel Prize, who directs five different departments, they're all under him wrote the paper, all disease begins in the leaky gut. And when you understand that, when you embrace this concept, it changes your paradigm. And you start, well, well I need to learn more about how do I protect my family now from this. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the effect on, you mentioned it, about the mind and mood. I think, you know, people focus so much on the gastrointestinal problems with wheat and gluten, but Really, the the bigger impact often is how it affects people's mood and memory. And I'll just share briefly. I had a patient you know, years early ago, early in my practice, who was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Ends up he was gluten intolerant. He got gluten out of his diet, and the schizophrenia completely cleared up. You know, talk a little bit. What is it about you know gluten that's impacting people's brains this way? Yeah, happy to. You know, as you were talking about that. I just typed in schizophrenia and gluten into uh, my computer here, and I'm going to PubMed, which is Public Medical Information. It's the National Library of Medicine. 
And when you hit go, you know, for schizophrenia and gluten, here comes 143 studies talking about schizophrenia and gluten. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Our experience is that, and uh, let's back up, not just my experience. In Italy, there are 36 centers that are designated by the government as gluten-related disorder centers. So when a family practitioner thinks there's a problem with wheat, if they send the patient to one of those centers, they get all their testing done there. They, they get a diagnosis of gluten sensitivity. Their food's a tax deduction. So wow. there's like 20 gastroenterology centers, a few pediatric, a few psychiatric, uh, centers that are all gluten-related disorder centers. And they looked at 15,000 people who had been sent to them. So these are people that are suffering. They went to their doctor for something. The doctor suspected maybe it's weed, so they send them. This is Italy where it's, it's a lot more conscious about this. And what they found was that 7% of the people had celiac disease. 93% of those had gluten sensitivity. It was a real thing that almost every person that was sent there, yeah, you've got a problem with weed. And they found, then they looked at the symptom patterns. 54% of those people had brain symptoms, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, brain fog, uh, but brain symptoms, 54%. And it went down from there that the gut symptoms were somewhere in the 40s. I don't remember the number now, but brain symptoms were much more common for people who doctors suspect have a problem with wheat. Well, again, it's, it's such a huge uh, problem I, I see in, in my patient population. And I'm glad we're talking about this to raise the awareness that just because, again, you don't get the immediate gas and bloating doesn't mean that you're not having a problem with wheat and with gluten. You know, I, I know that we, we, we talk about gluten. Of course, wheat, I think, accounts for 90, probably 98% of most people's gluten intake. But things like barley and things like rye also are high gluten grains. What about other grains? Is there a possibility that rice and amaranth and quinoa, you know, do they get cross-contaminated? Is there a risk of eating other grains that are not generally considered gluten grains? And you know, are those safe for people to consume? That's a really good question. And the answer is no. Um, the American Journal of Gastroenterology, no, they're not safe. The American Journal of Gastroenterology published a paper um, in 2019, March of 2019. And they took 804 people, they uh, contracted them and they gave them testing equipment and sent them out into the, into the community and said, go into restaurants and order seven things off of gluten-free menus. So 804 people ordering seven things, that's 5,624 foods ordered off of gluten-free menus. What percentage of those do you think may have had a problem with gluten, Dr. Oh, maybe 20%. Yeah, yeah, that I, I would have suspected. 15 to 20%. 32% of everything on a gluten-free menu is not gluten-free. 33%. 53% of gluten-free pastas are not gluten-free. 51% of gluten-free pizza 
is not gluten-free. Well, wait, it's a gluten-free menu. Yes, the restaurant's trying to do their best, but what they've got to work with is contaminated. And so it's called cross-contamination. And you're not saying eating out when you're trying to eliminate completely the activation of inflammation in your gut from exposure to wheat. It's not safe. That's why I came up with these digestive enzymes that work really, really well. And this thing about digestive enzymes for gluten, there are many out there. Amazon's got a ton of them. And most of them work to one degree or another. They do. But they take three to six hours to work. Now, anything that you swallow comes out of the stomach into the first part of the small intestine in about two hours. So wait, well, well, wait a minute, the enzymes work in three hours to break down gluten, but the food comes out of the stomach in two hours. What does that mean for the toll-like receptors? They get activated right. and you get leaky gut and you get inflammation in your gut, taking the gluten digesting enzymes. Now they will work further down the digestive tract. Remember it's 20 to 25 feet long. So by the time you get to the large intestine, they will work to break down any inadvertent exposures to gluten, but they don't work in the first part of the small intestine where your life-saving mechanisms are non-negotiable. They're gonna, uh, your toll-like receptors will activate every single time they see there's wheat coming down. So I did a lot of research. It took a few years and we put together the enzymes that actually work within 60 to 90 minutes. 99.9% that .9 you can't say 100% because there's always some atomic level there, you know, but 99% of any inadvertent exposures, not just to wheat, but the top eight allergens, dairy, soy, eggs, peanuts, shellfish, wheat, uh, fish, uh, they work extremely well. And so if we get lots of testimonials about them. You know, I'm really happy. So people say, well, finally, I can go out and eat in a gluten-free restaurant and not worry about contamination. Finally, I know that it's working. Well, this is why I always enjoy talking with you, Dr. Tom. You're always a great source of information. And uh, I know you guys are going to want to learn a lot more. You can follow Dr. Tom at the Dr. The Dr. Uh, dot com. He's got a lot of great information around gluten and wheat and other things. And I want to share a little bit with the audience too. I know you have a free e-guide. It's the three-step gut reboot to help reset the gut. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? You need a map. You need the map to the highway to hell. All disease begins in the leaky gut. So where do you think you have to put some of your attention? Right? You've got to learn how to build a healthy, diverse microbiome for you and your family. Nobody's gonna show you how to do it. You have to learn how to do it. You have to learn how to choose the right foods, what to avoid, you know, all those kinds of things. And so this guide, it's, it's, it's basic 101. You know, it's a, okay, let's just start with the basics here and to make sure that you don't miss anything. And it's free, it's free. So. Um, it's there available for you at that link that you have. Great. Well, we'll drop the link into the show notes. We're also going to dream, drop a link to Dr. Tom's website if you want to follow him and for more information. And again, Dr. Tom, I'm just grateful for you uh, spending time with us today and sharing your information. 
Thank you, Dr. Eagles. Always a pleasure to be with you.